You are listening to the Journal of Rheumatology's Editor's Picks with Dr. Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief. Hello again, this is Earl Silverman, Editor-in-Chief of the Journal of Rheumatology, welcoming you to the January 2024 edition of Editor's Pick. I also want to welcome you to a new year of 2024. This month, I will begin by speaking to Dr. Shanthini Kasturi, who is the first author of the article titled Measuring What Matters, a Qualitative Study of the Relevance and Clinical Utility of PROMS Surveys in Systemic Lupus Erythematosus. She will give you a summary of the important findings of this paper. So, what would you say is the take-home message messages from the study? Yeah. So the, the most important thing, I think the first thing, is that we found that patients uh, really felt that the survey spoke to them. There's always been concern in the research community, you know, that promise metrics are generic. They weren't developed with lupus patients in mind. How well are they capturing their experience? And by and large, I think the patients really felt that the questions addressed their um, experience. So that was um, a big thing and important because PROMISE is now being used more widely across health systems in different um, clinics. So you'll see it used in surgical clinics and medical clinics. It's used for quality metrics. And so we can sort of extrapolate from that data, whatever the context, wherever it's being used, that it is capturing something of importance to this population. So that's one thing. We also learned which domains are important uh, to this population. And I think that really uh, confirms some of the work that's already been done there. We know that fatigue is huge in this population and pain is a big problem. And so this is further evidence of that. And then the other big finding is that patients want to use these metrics as part of their care. And I think historically, patient-reported outcome measures have been used for research. They're certainly part of all the drug trials. Um, they're being used in quality metrics now more, um, but they're not used routinely in clinical encounters. So when you go to see doctors, sometimes you'll do a hack, sometimes you might do a rapid three, but it's not always the case. And if you're doing them, you're not necessarily talking about the results with your doctor. Um, and from our focus groups, what we learned is that patients really want to be doing these surveys and they want their doctors to talk about them. Um, and they gave a lot of reasons for that. The first being that they felt like these surveys are capturing their perspective. So it's setting an agenda that means something to them. So that was one thing, and that in doing so, that actually enhanced communication between the provider and the patient. So they felt like it was it was something to aid that. And they also felt like this was a way to monitor their course and their disease. So they could track their pain as their medications changed. They could track their energy. They could see what new symptoms were coming up, and that could inform their treatment down the road. And then the final thing that they raised in you know, our thematic analysis was that the, the fact, um, the very just fact of doing the surveys in some ways was a validating and empowering act for them because they felt like they were being asked about things that were important and that their opinion mattered, their perspective mattered. And um, that can be activating uh, for a patient and can help them to be more engaged in their care. 
So I think for all those reasons, they really want the surveys um, to be part of their clinical experience. I hope you enjoyed listening to Dr. Kasturi on behalf of all the authors on the paper, Measuring What Matters, a qualitative study of the relevance and clinical utility of promise surveys in systemic lupus erythematosus. I think you will enjoy listening to the full interview that I had with her, as well as reading the full-length article. I also suggest that you read the accompanying editorial regarding this article, and it's titled, More Evidence on the Validity of the Measurement Properties of a Promise Cat in SLE. This article, this editorial was written by Drs. Zahi Tuma, Ionis Peratis, and Vivica Strand from the University of Toronto, Toronto, Canada, the Karolinska Institute, Stockholm, Sweden, and Stanford Medical School, Stanford, USA, respectively. Both the paper and the editorial are currently available on our website at www.jroom.com. Org. The next article to bring your attention to is titled Changes in TNF Inhibitor Drug Survival in Patients with Rheumatoid Arthritis, Psoriatic Arthritis, and Ankylosing Spondylitis Over 15 Years. This article is by Visman and colleagues and asks a very interesting question. Has the survival of anti-TNF inhibitor drugs changed over time? This is a single-center retrospective study of 1,938 consecutive patients treated with an anti-TNF agent. They divided this 15-year interval from 2004 to 2019 into three equal eras. RA patients were 63% of the cohort, while PSA and AS patients composed 19% each. 65% of the total cohort were female. Authors found that drug survival decreased over time, with most of the differences seen in the most recent five-year period. The hazard ratio for continuation between the earliest five-year cohort to the most recent five-year era was 0.2. Well, when you compared the early to the intermediate times, it, the, the survival ratio was 1.1. While for the intermediate time to the most recent era, the hazard ratio was 1.9. When they split the cohort into diagnosis, drug survival was significantly shorter in patients with RA as compared to PSA and, and AS. However, the survival time for PSA and AS patients were similar. In the discussion, the authors outline why they believe these findings occurred and the implications for patient care.
The next article again examines anti-TNF therapy, but this time, Wettersley and colleagues examine TNF agent tapering in patients with axial spondyloarthropathy in their paper title, Occurrence and Prediction of Flare After Tapering of Tumor Necrosis Inhibitors in Patients with Axial Spondyloarthritis. 108 patients with axial spa who were in clinical remission followed a defined protocol for anti-TNF agent tapering and then discontinuation of therapy. 106 or 99% of the patients flared prior to two-year follow-up. 29 Patients are 27% at two-thirds of the standard dose, 20% at half the dose, 27% at one-third the dose, and 25% following discontinuation. 105 patients had a clinical flare, 25 a BASDI flare, and 23 or 29% of the patients who had MRI had an MRI flare. The most frequent symptoms at flare were back and buttock pain, and 89% in pain in the peripheral joints or enthesis in 46%. They found that all variables for assessing clinical disease activity and all pros worsened at the time of a flare as compared to baseline. When they examined predictors of flare, the only significant finding was a higher baseline physician global score, which was a predictor of flare at tapering at two-thirds of the dose. Changes in clinical and or imaging variables at, in six weeks prior to tapering did not predict a flare. In the discussion, the authors compared the results of their study to prior tapering studies in patients with axial spa. After reading this article, you'll be able to better decide how and when and how much to taper patients on anti-TNF therapy with axial spa in remission. The third article to highlight examines the characteristics of patients with osteoarthritis in an article titled Features of Knee and Multi-Joint Osteoarthritis by Sex and Race Ethnicity, a Preliminary Analysis in the Johnson County Cohort Study. It is by Nobin and colleagues and examined the demographic features of a multi-ethnic cohort of 544 patients with multi-joint OA. They found the most common subtype was multi-joint OA subclass 4 defined as greater than or equal to two lower body joints. They found men had twice the odds of being in category 6, which was at least three lower joints than did females. Well, there was no significant difference in any of 
the multi-joint osteoarthritis assessment phenotypes by race. Women reported significantly lower KOOS symptoms scores than men. Black individuals had a higher odds of displaying advanced grades of most radiographic features of RA than did whites. And they also reported worse KOOS symptoms than did white individuals. Although there was a low number of Hispanic participants at only 9% of the cohort, most of the subtypes were less frequently found in these participants than in white individuals. However, they tended to have higher pain and symptom scores. The results section of this article delves into greater detail on the findings based on the multi-joint osteoarthritis assessment grading system. The fourth and final article to highlight is about COVID-19 vaccination, which unfortunately is still topical in 2024. The article is titled, Safety and Healthcare Utilization Followed COVID-19 Vaccination Among Adults with Rheumatoid Arthritis, a Population-Based Self-Controlled Case Series Analysis, and is by Lee and Collings. The aim of the study was to determine if adverse events of special interest and healthcare use among adults with rheumatoid arthritis differed from a control group. The authors used administrative data, which was derived from 123,466 patients with RA and 493,864 comparators who had received at least one dose of a COVID-19 vaccine, the majority of which were mRNA vaccines. The investigators found that adverse events of special interest, they use a standard definition, did not significantly differ between patients with RA and controls. Emergency department visits did not differ between RA patients and controls regarding the first and fourth doses of the vaccine, but were increased after the second dose with a relative increase of 1.06, and which is no different in any age group, but these visits were decreased as compared to controls after the third dose at a relative increase increase of 0.94. When they compared RA patients prior to vaccination and post-vaccination, they found that RA patients experienced fewer ED visits, 0.7, regarding hospital and hospitalizations after the third dose. Please read this reassuring article to help you when advising your RA patients on COVID-19 vaccinations. The Panorama 360 Degrees of Rheumatology article this month is titled 
Military Report from the Front. This is a poem describing the experience of a rheumatic disease and its treatment. The image in rheumatology this month describes a 66-year-old woman with a one-month history of a generalized subcutaneous nodules with a right leg ulcer. Her anti-PR3 antibody level by ELISA was elevated. A CT of the chest showed pulmonary nodules. And a CT angiogram of her head showed aneurysms of the anterior and middle cerebral arteries. A skin biopsy showed fibrinoid necrosis with evidence of vasculitis and granuloma. A diagnosis of GPA was made and she improved with treatment. A repeat CT Cerebral angiogram showed almost complete resolution of the aneurysms after one year of treatment. I want to thank you for listening to this podcast and encourage you to read not only my highlighted articles, but all the articles of the January 2024 edition of the Journal of Rheumatology, either in the print edition or the online edition which is available at www.jroom.org. And please watch my interview with the author of the highlighted article of this month, but I encourage you to watch previous months also. They are available for your viewing on our website and at YouTube. If you have any comments or questions, these highlighted articles or any article in the, in the Journal of Rheumatology, please send them to manuscripts at jroom.com. Please join me next month for the February 2024 edition of Editor's Highlights. I wish you all a good 2024. Thank you.